Film reviews and movie news with Stuart Pink and Mark Searby. It's film reviews and movie news. I'm Stuart Pink and joining me as always, soon to be co-author of the international best-selling book 99 Other Uses for Popcorn. It's Mark Searby. Hello, is Mark. there ni- Hello. Uh, is there 99? I mean, surely the, the well, one is you either eat it or you throw it away. I mean, to me, I throw it away because we've had this discussion. I hate it. <laughs> You just haven't found the right popcorn yet, is what it is. Is that what it is? Do you know, it's funny you say that because there are some very um, high-end popcorn makers out there and there is a chocolate popcorn and I am quite tempted with that, I have to say. that's the one. That's the one for you. Do you think? You tried a banana popcorn. I hate banana. That's horrible, that is. It's just like cardboard. No. Don't have that one. No, no, no. Don't want. I don't want any popcorn. That's the thing. No. I'm not, Salted not caramel. It's like a bit no, of both. No, no, no. Just no. Me. Yeah. If, if, I imagine. You know what it's like when you go to the cinema and you're like last in and you've had the popcorn that no one else wanted because it's been there all day. Can you imagine what the first popcorn bucket's going to be like when we go back after lockdown? <laughs> Do you know what? I might even <laughs> like popcorn when I go back. I'm like, <laughs> draw oh, this. Is this what it's like? Wow, oh, it's magical, it's isn't like... it? You know, um, but yeah, well, you saying that, you know, going back, I mean, we have tentatively, thanks to obviously the uh, uh, the government's road to recovery or whatever they're calling it, which was announced earlier this week. We have a tentative date for cinemas to reopen. Well, hey, we're, yes. we've got a goal post there. It may or may not move. But that's where it is at the moment. I mean, let's keep our fingers crossed. Let's touch wood, rubber, horseshoe or whatever you do. So 17th of May is when they can reopen. If everything goes to plan, obviously. you know. So, okay, so let's we cross everything and we behave yes. ourselves. So 17th of May is when cinemas can reopen, which is great because you know, missed being in them, to be honest. However, here's the funny thing, right? So... That's announced on Monday, just gone, and by Monday evening, a lot of films had suddenly shifted to the first week of um, release for that. So the the week beginning the 17th of May. So Monday the 17th of May, straight out the gate, Lionsgate are like, right, we're getting a film in cinema first day. So they've got a film called The Courier in cinemas on the Monday. I mean... Talk about excitement. The Courier. They couldn't have picked a better film. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So then um, fast forward to the Friday and we have Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway, which has been delayed for over a year. Um, <laughs> so that's that's going to be there. Free Guy is there, which is the new Ryan Reynolds film uh, made by Disney. Oh, nice. The Saw reboot, which we were talking about last week, starring Chris Rock. Yes, the Chris Rock. The Chris Rock. That's meant to be coming out as well. There is a film from Paramount called Infinite as well, which is a bit of an action film. Um, There's um, Billy Piper's directorial debut called Rare Beasts. Um, This played at London Film Festival in 2019. Anyway, it's finally getting a release, hopefully that week. It's got Billy Piper in it alongside David Thewlis and our good friend Lily James. The lovely Lily James. So, I mean, if anything's going to tempt me for the first week. Exactly, yes. You and I socially distanced, waving at each other across an entire (laughs) room going, it's Lily James time. Hi. So there's that. I mean, it's they've already gone right. Get, get them out. Get them out. So that's a you big know, old it's line looking up, good. It, it's looking good. Okay. Yeah, that's the thing. The week after. So if this happens, obviously, the week after that. So Friday the twenty eighth of May, we've got Fast and the Furious Nine 
Cruella as well. Um, Those first, are two separate films, not... They're two, yes, they're two separate films. Yes, Fast Cruella is not... Yeah, yeah. Cruella. It's not like Fast and the Furious 9, colon, Cruella. No, it's <laughs> no. not like Fast and the Furious 9, Tokyo Drift, Cruella or something like that. No, they're Dalmatians separate films. in the back of the car. Um, yeah. Also that week as well is the film that has been getting so much buzz in the US for the past six months and has only just been signed here in the UK. It's a film called First Cow. Um, yes, it is First about a cow, cow. Um, mm-hmm. but it is also this journey of discovery. Uh, it's from a filmmaker, Kelly Reichardt, who has made some very interesting films in the past. I have to say I've not really enjoyed quite a lot of her work, but I'm always interested to see stuff. So you see can see... the chops. <laughs> Stakes are high. Sorry. Oh dear. <laughs> so you can see already how if cinemas open, fingers crossed, touch wood, they do, we're already stacked with films. Already, yeah. That's already. A that's start. the thing. So we're gonna be in cinemas quite a lot, clearly, if that's you know what you want to do, if you feel safe, that's fine. Um and it, the funny thing was, so this announcement came out on, on Monday, obviously. Sunday, the day before, I was watching Demons. Um, because Arrow Films have released this lovely little box set, Demons 1 and 2. So Demons, film from the 80s, directed by uh, Lamberto Bava, written by Dario Argento, so very heavily uh, giallo um, horror film influences. Demons is an American film that's set in a cinema where people go to see an advanced screening of a horror film and then get locked in with these killer demons that bite people i mean they're sort of vampires oh they're sort God. of demons and whatever else and i'm like do you know what i'd probably take that right about now <laughs> i've got to be honest demons um, actually in the cinema with you in yeah the so what so they lock them in so basically they're the 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 people there to watch the film are trapped in the auditorium and they're trying to stop the demons coming in and whatever else it's really interesting Whoa. film i really like it Is i've seen it like 5d i mean like 4d <laughs> 5D is when they actually bite you. <laughs> Could you imagine? Wow. Um, I really like the film. I saw it many, many years ago, and it's nice to see it again now that they've scrubbed it up as well. Um, so, you know, cool. Demons was the first one set in the cinema. The second one is... Um, the second one's okay. It's set underground where they're travelling um, through underground tunnels and demons and whatever else. I mean, the second one's kind of interesting, but you can see how it's sort of tailed off. But Demons... Is a really interesting film anyway because of the way it's shot. There's a brilliant um, scene where the demons are, are running up some stairs. You know how when you go to the cinema sometimes you have to go upstairs, up the stairs, and then you get to the, the level bit where you're at the back of the auditorium? Oh, yeah, yeah. So what they've done in, in Demons is they basically got the demons to run up the stairs, be backlit by this huge white light, and as they're running towards you, all their eyes are glowing and everything. It is one of the most iconic scenes in film, well, certainly in horror film anyway, and it's been ripped off many, many, many times as well. It's a really good piece of um, filmmaking, I have to say, certainly for that. I like the film itself, but it did make me laugh that I'm like... Oh, man, do you know what? I'd probably take that right now. And then the next day yeah. they say, right, OK, listen, just hold on a little bit longer. We will get you back in the cinema. I'm like, great, fantastic. So, you awesome. know, Demons, which um, is, I think it got released this week, actually, to be honest with you. Uh, as I said, nice little box set, Demons 1 and 2, loads of special features and everything else. Um, it did make me yearn for the cinema even more, even though there was Demons in the cinema. 
There's no demons in the cinema now. They shouldn't bite you, though, not from two metres apart. Well, who knows? <laughs> who knows? That's the thing. We don't know, do we? Oh, I could just imagine this. We'll have to go. We'll have to go in a cinema sesh. Get you some popcorn. No, 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 no. Um, so that's the good news. That's the good news. The good film news. Um, can I give you some bad news? Oh, go on in. I'm braced and ready. I'm sitting there. M- most people will know this anyway. Um, you didn't know when we were talking off air. So I say most people. Most you know, people. Yeah, the yeah. best people um, might not know. The best people knew. Um, <laughs> so earlier this week, it was announced that Daft Punk have split up. This is a tragedy. Like, yeah. Could they like, not put the same helmets on different people and not tell us? You know, I would be fine with that. Well, do you know, it's funny colour. you say yeah. that because that was one of the things that when they did their tour in, hmm, what was it, 2006 or something like that, when they, they, I think they played Hyde Park or something, there was this thing of, it's not really Daft Punk, it's just somebody. That's all it is, not really. <laughs> so Daft Punk had to put out a statement to say, no, no, it's really us. We don't take the helmets off, blah, 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 blah. So Daft Punk have split up. Now people can say, well, what's that got to do with films? Um, beyond, obviously, them doing the, the soundtrack and briefly appearing in Tron Legacy, which you mentioned you were watching the other Great week. Great soundtrack, to be fair. Great soundtrack to a film that is, I think, better than what it, the, than the reputation it's got. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that film. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Anyway, the, the reason I bring it up is because actually Daft Punk made two films that people don't know about. No, they actually made their own films. They actually made their own films. So they made um, Interstellar 555, which is an animated film about a group of people in space. Um, It's heavily influenced by anime out of, obviously, uh, Japan. Uh, It is quite hard to find as well. I have a copy of it um, because it's Daft Punk. I own everything from Daft Punk. Um, (laughs) It's a really interesting piece. It's really good. Very colourful as well. However, they also made a film called Electroma. Now, they made this back in 2006, I believe it was, 2008, maybe, something like this. Very experimental piece where basically it, it focuses on the robots and them walking through the desert and coming across certain things and other bits and bobs. As I said, very, very experimental work. Um, It was put out on DVD and I think it sold about 10 copies. I own nine of them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Mum owns the other one. Yes. Yeah, that's because I gave it to her as well. I'm like, listen, I can't own all of them. Um, But if anybody's interested in seeing it, because it is a kind of an interesting piece, it's about one hour 20, something like that. The full film is on YouTube. Uh, yeah. You can just find it there. Yeah, and it has an explosive ending, I will say that. But this leads me back to the point that Daft Punk were filmmakers. They, they were basically everything. You know, obviously they were musicians, but filmmakers as well, um, artists, because they designed their own artwork as well. There was a very good documentary put out several years ago called Daft Punk Unchained. I think it aired on BBC over here. And then it got a DVD release and it basically charted the history of Daft Punk from their initiation in the, I think it was the late 80s, maybe something like that, all the way through to, I think it was about 2014, something like that. Yeah. Um, it didn't speak to them. So if you were expecting to oh, watch it and go, oh, they've taken their masks off. It doesn't happen. No. OK, Um <laughs> But it spoke to a lot of people who worked with them 
um, which I found quite interesting. So the documentary Daft Punk oh. Unchained, I mean, I don't know if it's on iPlayer. I have to say, I haven't checked, but it is available on DVD. It's really interesting. I found it quite fascinating. It's a shame that Daft Punk have split up. I, I have, I never saw them live. It was my one thing. I oh, always but that would have been. Exactly. I'd have lost experience. my mind, Stuart. I'd have yes. lost my mind. You'd have been like, "Where's Mark? He's still laid on the floor in Hyde Park." <laughs> three days later, he or refuses something. to accept it is over. It's yeah, exactly. Going. So I'm sad that no more Daft oh, Punk yeah. music. Uh, no more tour. As I said, not toured in what fifteen years. They already had the um, PPE covered. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, that's the thing. They were—they're perfect to go out, Pioneers, aren't they? Really. really? Yeah. Um, so it's a shame because I, I would have liked to have seen what they'd have done next. Certainly, yeah. um, whether it would have been to make another film or, or do, do you something they'll go their separate ways. Want to be sensible punk? They want to be even dafter than a <laughs> well, they planned punk. They've done their own stuff. So Thomas Bangalter, oh, here we go, here we go. Strap in, everybody. I'm oh. going to go full nerd now. Oh, oh. So Thomas Bangalter um, set up the record label Rule in France and put out a lot of uh, house music in in the late mid to late 90s. Great French house music. Love the label. Put out about 20 tracks. Fantastic stuff. Uh, Guy Man... Guy... Homme de Manuel. I always get his name wrong, the wrong way round. Sorry. Uh, see, um, I would have noticed as well, you know. Guy Manuel de Homon Cristo. There we go. That's, Thank you. That's the one. Yeah, well done. Yes. Yep. Um, he made his own music as well. It was a bit tougher, um, a bit more leaning towards techno as well. Um, both very instrumental stuff um, that I really like. But Thomas Bangalter's dad was the man behind Odyssey. You know the band Odyssey? Oh, yeah. Yes, so his dad was from that. So Bangalter is always so. So look, that's the short version. If we want to really get into the weeds of Daft Punk, I'm happy to do it right now. <laughs> but I'm conscious of the fact that you're like, look, we're here to do film reviews. This is film reviews, movie news, and Daft Punk. We're going to launch a whole new podcast <laughs> D- now. Mark. Daft Punk nerdy, um, <laughs> nerdy information. Yeah, yeah. Oh, at least they haven't revealed themselves before they split up. That would have been a that's, shame. That's what I love. And do you know the funny thing yeah. is, Just... I know a couple of people who have met them without their helmets on. <gasps> oh, my God. Could you imagine? Oh, you wouldn't believe it, would you? You'd be like, no, you walk differently. It's not you. That, but not that's you. the thing. You'd be like, oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, turns right. out it's Chesney Hawks after all this time. Well, you kind of don't know. That's the thing, isn't it? You, you would turn up and you'd go, "Oh, it's Rick Astley." Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, the greatest stunt Daft Punk, Daft Punk ever pulled was, you know, telling the world that they existed when, in actual fact, they didn't. You know, something like that. That's the beauty of Daft Punk. So mysterious. Very. And we'll never get to see him starring in the reasonably priced car alongside the stick. I'd have to have seen that. <laughs> stick and Daft Punk. Could you imagine? How Probably funny related. would that have been? <laughs> Should we do some film reviews this week? We better do we've some. We've got, got a, few, got a lot. We? Yeah, we've got a lot to get through this week. With Stuart Pink and Mark Searby. Film reviews and movie news. It's film reviews and movie news. Mark Searby, what have we got this week? New on Netflix, uh, a film all about Al Capone. Al Capone. Oh, into your gangster movies. Game. Yes. Um, a different Al Capone movie, though, should be said. Um, this is after 10 years in prison, the 47-year-old Al Capone returns home. However, he starts to suffer from dementia and the hauntings of his violent past. Oh, gangster mm. later in life. Yes. Um, 
if you've seen The Sopranos, one of the best TV shows ever made, there are scenes in that show where Tony has these like fever dreams of his past slash alternate life dictating a lot of what happens in his real life. If you if you're aware of that, then that is what you have with Capone. It is not a by the numbers gangster flick. I think it is a meditative look at the violent past of a gangster who now struggles to even understand what day it is or even who his family are as well. So, as I said, very different, very different. Tom Hardy plays Al Capone here. And you're like, Tom Hardy playing a gangster? Of course, of course, fantastic. You know, I mean, he already did it. He's pretty good, Um, isn't he? Well, he already did it with The Craze and he was great in that film. Um, but this is this is different. Um, his performance as Al Capone, or Fonz, as he's called in this, not F-O-N-Z, by the way. It's Fonz, F-O-N-S-E. So Alfonso, oh, um, Alfonso okay. Capone, etc. Um, this is a very mumbling, a very fumbling performance. It, I think it's the type of performance that you don't associate with this genre, but I think Tom Hardy brings something fresh to it. And mm. I think that, you know, it, it, very few films dare take on a gangster legend and then do something like this that shows the struggle of their later lives and the hurt and anguish that it's caused people and also that person. So Makes them human. Yes, this. this is the thing. You know, yeah. you're making a killer human. That's the thing. I, I think if you can appreciate that this film is not a thriller but it's more a drama, then you'll find a very impressive performance here from Tom Hardy. But it does take some doing to watch a gangster film and not to expect hails of bullets or a murder spoken. You know, there's many scenes in this film where Tom Hardy is just mumbling away to himself, talking about buried money or, or, or names from the past. Yeah. Which all of this means nothing to the family. Um, the, the, the only time in the film that... Capone opens up a round of bullets from his Tommy gun is when he's confused about who the gardener is. Oh. But at the same time, he's in his slippers and a nappy. <laughs> wow. So you can see how different this film is. Because you're like, yeah, great, yeah. it's got the Tommy gun, fantastic. Oh, okay, right, this is different. Um, this is from writer-director Josh Trank, um, who has had a very up-and-down relationship, certainly in terms of getting big-budget films made. His smaller films have always been very good, I have to say. Um, I think what he's done here is is opted to show Capone, for all the worship that he gets for being, you know, a cool gangster and whatever else, he's decided to show Capone as a shell of a man by the time that he gets to middle age. So he's not so much this feared gangster that we've seen in other films. Instead, he's more afraid of falling over and hurting himself. So do we find more about the legend that is Al Capone in this film? No, we don't. What we discover, actually, in this film is that dementia can get to anybody. You know, it's 10 years after he's left from prison and it reverts back. There's there's some um, uh, backstory on it that shows, and it's, you know, 10 years previous, here's Al Capone being feared by everybody. Yeah. Now he looks like he couldn't strike fear into his cigar. It's it's that bad. You know, it's that interesting here. Interesting um, take on it that none of us It have, really have is. Seen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'll tell you what it reminded me of. This film really reminded me of The Godfather Part 3. Not yeah. that it's a bad film. People will go, oh, Godfather Part 3 is a bad film. I've already said this last year when we reviewed it. Godfather Part 3 is not a bad film. 
It's the fact that The Godfather Part 3 is an epilogue. And I think Capone is an epilogue to a gangster story. You know, it's the bit that nobody tells you about. It's that sad decline of a once feared mobster. The thing is... go when you're at the top. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's the thing. So don't see it as the Capone that most people know. See it as the epilogue after his his prison sentence, basically. A lot of this stuff in this film may or may not be true. We don't know. We really don't know. Yeah. However, because it's such an interesting take on a mob movie, I think it stands out beyond the usual gangster flicks. Very different. This is, you say this is a Netflix? Uh, it's on Netflix, well, yes. Here in the UK, it's on Netflix. Um, it came out in the US a couple of months ago. Um, reminding me of The Irishman. They're obviously favouring this style of uh, mobster. Yeah, like a, a reflective yeah. look at um, at a, a, an old gangster life. That's the thing. Because that's what The Irishman is. You know, It's about a bad man reflecting on his previous life well no his previous life his his early life and the bad things he's done mm. that kind of happens here but as i said he can't remember a lot of it because he has dementia yeah so he gets confused and in that he it it doesn't help his family try to help him either so as i said very different take very different take yeah and do you, do you feel you need to fill in the gaps because you don't told what happens or you kind of already know oh um good question i i think possibly yes but if you've seen a couple of other films that have got al capone in you sort of know the legend then you'll be okay with it but if you're coming to this without any history of al capone apart from the fact that you know he used to shoot a tommy gun and he was a fair guy i think you might find yourself a little bit confused with some of the references here I'd love the poster of this as well. It's very cool. Great poster. Great poster where his his head is slowly being taken away, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Nice job. Mm. What have we got next? Okay, so on Sky Cinema um, here in the UK, we have the United States versus Billie Holiday. So the singer Um, Billie Holiday. Obviously, you remember... What was it about three months ago? We reviewed a documentary called Billy, yeah. all about Billy Holiday's um, life growing up, basically. And I said, "Yeah, it's a really good documentary. It's really interesting." And I think it appeared on BBC or something. Quite, quite. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's on there. So this is a feature film all about Billy Holiday when she's targeted by the Federal Department of Narcotics because she's listed as a dangerous individual in the public eye. What they do is they set up an undercover sting operation that is led by a guy called Jimmy Fletcher. This man ends up having an affair with Billy Holiday. Oh, interesting. Yes, interesting. Yes. Um, the one thing that this film does above everything else is explain in great detail the importance of Billie Holiday's song Strange Fruit. This is the song that got her into so much trouble throughout her career. It's a song that I was aware of, but had no idea how powerful it was in terms of its lyrics and what it spoke to people about. The film is an education on that song, and I'm really pleased that it includes that, because, as I said, I didn't know too much about it, and I think it does. It sets out its stall in terms of going, this is what Strange Fruit is, this is what it's doing. And you go, OK, great. That's fantastic. I didn't know that. Mm. So it's a shame that the rest of the film is such a mess. This oh. is 
yeah, it's a mess. It's a biopic that races through some parts of Billie Holiday's life and then slowly drags through some others. It doesn't have a cohesive string running through it. Instead, it throws in storylines and then forgets about them in favour of showing Billie Holiday on drugs or or having sex. Then it returns to the, the storylines much later on after you've kind of forgotten about them. So the film is asking you to remember all of these different storyline strings that are not fully formed when they're being told don't all combine and don't really finish on their own either. So, I mean, I was watching it and the opening scene left me confused as to where it had come from. And mm. then later on, what we were meant to see that would follow on from that. It's, it's a real disjointed mess. I've got to be honest about mm. this. Shame. It does all come together about an hour in when Andrea Day, who plays Billie Holiday, gets the spotlight all to herself because the camera closes in and she sings Strange Fruit without interruption. I think it is the one standout moment in the film. It's the moment that everything is building towards and I think Andrea Day absolutely nails it. But to be fair, Andrea Day is a singer by trade. However, getting Billie Holiday is... a Getting her, you know, getting the performance of Billie Holiday is a tough ask, let's cool. be honest. Yes. I think she but... gets a spot on it nice. genuinely feels like a well-researched performance, but I think Day is let down by the wonkiest of directing by Lee Daniels because time and again, decisions are made that throw everything off from it being an intelligent and educational biopic about obviously one of the world's most famous singers. And we get this storytelling that's a real mess and one that I think will lose viewers all over the place and then is unable to regain your attention. Mm. So... I'm watching the film and I'm thinking, OK, Andrea Day is is great. I mean, she deserves the plaudits for her performance, I have to say. The film as a whole does not. I, I think this is not the biopic that Billie Holiday deserves. And I, I, do you know, weirdly, I watched this and then the next day I watched Lady Sings the Blues starring Diana Ross, who play as Billie Holiday. Oh, yeah. 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 And it felt like it was the same film as in you're watching somebody who can sing who's a real singer and can sing and is given a great performance but is not being the the, the material around her is not helping her performance yeah and i think that's the problem with lady sings the blues because you're going that's diana ross playing billy holiday and with the united states versus billy holiday you go that's andrea day playing Billy Holiday. You don't feel like you're watching somebody immersed as Billy Holiday. So as much mm. as it's great when Day belts out strange fruit and it's great, I don't feel like you're watching Billy Holiday. It's a shame. It didn't quite capture the the story it wanted to. That's the thing. And yeah. Billy Holiday's story, her life is so complex, so yeah. much going on. And I thought that documentary that came out last year was really interesting. Um, even though it, it felt, you know, having looked now at what Billie Holiday's life was like, I'm thinking, you know what? You could have made this into a four-part documentary, to be honest. Yeah. Um, this this film doesn't feel like, as I said, the, it's not the biopic that Billie Holiday deserves. Still, still got that vacancy there. If anybody fancies having another crack at it, I mean, good luck to you. Good, luck. as I said, <laughs> you know, that's a career and a half, really, on stage and off stage. But if yeah. you're gonna go for it, really go for it. And I have to say, as much as Andrea Day goes for it, she's let down by, as I said, directing and and the quietly 
quietly poorly written script. Yeah, shame, shame. They gave it a go though. Do you enjoy the music? Yeah, I did enjoy the music. As I said, Andrea Day's great. She's she's got a cracking voice. Oh dear, cracking voice. Yeah, brilliant stuff. We got three more films to go. So uh, should we stick on a bit of Billy Holiday? Yeah, let's play a bit of Holiday. Let's do that with Stuart Pink and Mark Searby. Film reviews and It's Film Reviews and Movie News. I'm Stuart Pigster with Mr. Mark Searby. What we got left, Mark? Superhero movie. Oh, here we yes. go. i get the spandex it's, on. It's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been ages. This ages is not... Ages. Yeah, but this is not your normal superhero movie. Oh, okay. okay. This is not yeah. Shazam. No, this is not Shazam. This is not any of those. This is very much the anti-superhero superhero movie. Okay. Um, it's the story of Max Fist who claims to be a hero from another dimension who falls through time and space to Earth, where he has no powers. Nobody believes his stories except for a local teen nade, teenager named Hamster. Hamster. Interesting okay. names, really. Hamster. Yeah, exactly. So, OK, Max Fist is clearly a superhero, but he's not your average run-of-the-mill superhero that you know we would see in a DC or Marvel. Mm, he's not quite a Clark Kent, is he? Yeah, um, he's a very rough uncharismatic character who is very difficult to love yet that's the kind of that's kind of the point of him i've got to be honest he isn't some hotshot superhero he's very he's a down and out basically that i think it happens in the film actually people mistake him for being homeless apart from one night when hamster sees this guy punching a wall and realizing there's something more to this person who i think is actually drunk but probably isn't um (laughs) I have to say that the, the the good thing about this film is that it gives a really it gives a very different story when telling the superhero's backstory. This is a story that feels much more at home in the world of like Philip K. Dick than than the superhero genre because much of the film feels like it's spinning into science fiction, especially when the film flip flops yeah. from real to cartoon, and it does that surprisingly well. Ooh. It's almost like. Watching that. Tron, which we were talking about earlier, and then it morphs into the animated Tron series. It's really impressive. Mm-hmm. And I found myself getting fully caught up in Max Fist's story because of how different it was being told. So I think fans of comic books and or film, comic book films and or comic book TV shows will really dig what the filmmakers have have done here because they've really brought Arch Enemy to life in a very different way. There's plenty of explosions. We get a story that involves Hamster's sister and then it seems like it's all going to kick off in the final 30 minutes. But it doesn't. I think that the film holds back from going all guns blazing when it feels like it should do. I felt like it needed that big release considering what it had all been building up to. So I found it a little bit of a shame that it doesn't fully unleash the action as it should do. I think it needed a big finale. Instead, we get a finale that feels a bit more like it's gearing people up for a sequel. Okay. Uh, Okay. Yes. Fair enough. When, you know, let's face it, in this day and age, gearing people up for a sequel is a very dangerous thing because who knows if you'll get a sequel. Um, (laughs) It's a tough ass getting a green light for a sequel to... To a film that, let's face it, as I said, is an anti-superhero superhero movie that is really for adults, to be honest. Mm. Um, but for the film overall, okay, 
I love the world building that the film does. It does it very well. I think Joe Manganiello is very good in the title role. He seems to understand the character's mindset very well. However, my, my concern with the film is that lack of big finale. That's it. So yeah. I think if you know you're going into this film and you're going to get more science fiction than you're going to get comic booky. Comic bookness, comic book, comic bookie. I like that. That's comic bookie. Yeah. Okay, right there comic we go. Bookie. Yeah. Okay. So if you know you're going to get more science fiction than comic bookie, mm. um, <laughs> then I think you're going to have a better time with this. As I said, I like this film. The, the finale lets it down, but I like what it does because it's different. Okay. Would you do a sequel? If, if I would absolutely do a sequel. I think Joe Manganiello was a vastly underrated actor. Yes. Okay. He's a very big guy. Like. He, he is, could, and I've seen the trailer. He's, he, yeah, yeah, he's a big guy. Yeah. Um, so if he asked me to do a sequel, I would say yes. Do not refuse. Yeah, yeah, regardless of what the first film's like. No, I'm joking. I, <laughs> I, I would hope this gets a sequel. I really hope it does, because it does feel like they're building this really interesting world. So mm-hmm. fingers crossed um, that it does happen. Arch, arch, arch enemy. Uh, Archer enemy. Archie. Archie enemy? enemy? No. Yeah. I arch friend. I don't know what you call that. Arch friend. There we go. Arch friendly. No, arch... <laughs> arch no, chums. No? This is why we're not going to do the sequel, OK? We'll leave it yeah, to we'll Joe it to and, and his team to do it. They have the superpowers and whatever. They do, is. yes. What else have we got? So, on to what is probably, arguably, the breakout hit of Lockdown 2020. Um, it is the film called Host. It is about six friends who hire a medium to hold a seance via Zoom during lockdown. But they get far more than they bargain for if things quickly go wrong. So this sounds exactly like our last Phoenix meeting. <laughs> Nobody quite knew who that was. <laughs> um, all shot entirely on Zoom. Really clever idea. Sign of a filmmaker using the bare minimum to get the absolute man- uh, maximum. Mm. Add to the plot, uh, pot that this is under 60 minutes. Oh, that's nice. Just like every other Zoom meeting. Under 60 minutes. They must have had a free plan. <laughs> it's got a couple of really genuine jump scares. You can see why so many people were raving about this film when it hit the online streaming service Shudder earlier this year. Because it got so much greater claim, it's now out in the world um, on digital download. It's now out on Blu-ray as well. It's got a very nice package out on Blu-ray. So more and more people can see it because, as I mentioned, it is very clever filmmaking. Within the first eight minutes, we're introduced to all seven characters and you instantly get an idea of where they all fit in the puzzle in terms of their character style and storyline. So uh, Hayley... Hallie, Haley, the one who basically organises the sales. It, it's sort of the ringleader. Her friends all fit together, but they have their own personalities. It's really impressive stuff that you get well-rounded characters yeah. within the first eight minutes of a film, and especially when it comes across like that through lot, a Zoom call. Yeah, a lot to lot to get across in a short a space lot, of time. Yeah, exactly. A lot of characters. Especially in eight minutes as well. Yeah. So um, Haley introduces the, the, the medium on the Zoom call, and suddenly a video is cut dead. From then on, not going to say anything else because that's the beauty of a well put together horror film, not knowing when the twists and turns are going to come. Oh, yeah, don't spoil it for us. So, what I will say is that the filmmakers clearly use a lot of tips and tricks that we've seen many times before, you know, the, the horror tropes um, that are used in this film. Mm. 
strangely feel very fresh, very new, mm. because we've never really seen it done via an online chat before. We've had found footage before and static cameras, but this is actual people carrying their phones and laptops around the flats while things are going on so that we can see what's actually happening. Yeah. Now, many will probably pitch this as like an updated paranormal activity type film, and probably to some degree it is, but it has some genuinely frightening moments where paranormal, paranormal activity was completely boring. Um <laughs> I think I'd probably lump it in closer to the Blair Witch Project as that being a huge influence on that. I think the Blair Witch Project is a fantastic film. It knows what it's doing with found footage, um, it, you yeah. know, and it, it gets a bad ride nowadays. But when that film came out, my goodness, it was a juggernaut, Ooh. kind of like Host, to be honest. So I think mm. what impressed me the most about Host is the ability to scare on a technical level like the the pushes and the pulls the slight glances of something and as i said yes it's all been done before however because it's being done by zoom and also because the background horror is our own thoughts on lockdown um yeah <laughs> it feels so much more harrowing and frightening really it has been in. quite a while since I've been this impressed with a low-budget horror film, it is a real standout in the genre. This film will stand the test of time because of... Not because of how it's made, but because of how they've used the techniques and because they've used the the you know the the horribleness of 2020 as a, a, a horror trope in itself as well. The interesting thing about this film... OK, so I saw this film when it hit Shudder. I watched it on a laptop, right? Oh, no, you didn't. Which was the weirdest thing, <laughs> because when the film starts, it starts as somebody opening Zoom. And I thought, this is weird. Somebody's using my mouse already. And it's not <laughs> oh, me. Oh, no. I was going to say, they should so do viewing parties of this on Zoom, so you feel like you're actually... They probably have. This yeah, is the thing. So idea. I watched this on Zoom. Uh, on Zoom, I watched this online. I thought that that's why it worked so much well and so much brilliantly. If, I mean, it really scared me. Yeah. Um, now it's on Blu-ray. I have to say, I've watched it on Blu-ray as well. It still works very, very well. It just doesn't freak me out as much because I'm like, I'm watching it on the TV. It's okay. Somebody's not <laughs> using moving my mouse without me knowing. Um, as I said, great film. Great, great horror film. If you love your horror films and you haven't seen this, You've got to see it. It's fantastic. Fantastic host. The scarier Zoom meeting than Jackie Weaver at the Parish Council. <laughs> yes. Hey, you do not have authority here. <laughs> Where is this available? Just anywhere so, you like. So it's still on Shudder, if you subscribe Shudder. to Shudder. It's also on digital download, and it is now on Blu-ray with this awesome package, loads of special features, um, where they they actually show you how the filmmaker tricked the original, uh, the cast, into believing that um, oh, certain things were going on in his oh, house. That's cruel. Oh, it's it? fantastic. It's fantastic. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so it's it's uh, so this week it's on Blu-ray, but as I said, it's already digital download and on Shudder and uh, basically everywhere. And zoom your friends laptop. straight after. Yeah, call your friends straight after. Make sure done. they're there. Yeah. Our last field boy got. So, something slightly different. We've got a film starring Riz Ahmed, uh, who I think most will know oh, from his yeah. work in Rogue One, possibly. He was the, yeah, the, the, the Resistance. Uh, the, he was. The, uh, Four Lions. He's great in Four Lions. Love that film. Um, he was yeah. in Venom as well. He was in Nightcrawler as well. So, you know, a Venom very, 
very diverse career from Riz Ahmed. Um, he also makes music as well. People might not know this. He makes, makes music. No, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes music. Um, so this is a new film called Mogul Mowgli. It's about a British-born Pakistani rapper who is on the cusp of his first world tour, but is struck down by an illness that threatens to derail his big break. Um, it's not coronavirus, is it? No, it's not. No, no, no. no. Um, so what what Riz Ahmed has made here is a a really urgent and highly important film about the treatment of others. Yet it's also a film about losing your way. So very early on, Riz Ahmed Zed, that's the, the guy who he plays, is asked. He said, uh, somebody asked him, you say you're from London, but when did you actually go back for an extended period of time? And he's got no answer. So yeah. because he's riding on the cusp of a wave of where he came from, like, hey, I'm from London, but I'm over here in the US and people are loving this and whatever. Else, he feels like he's lost his identity. You know, that that identity made him as an artist. And I think it is a fascinating story to start a uh, storyline to start the film off with because it's a film that does a lot in a, in a very powerful 10 minutes i mean it's a very angry 10 minutes opening 10 minutes that you hope it the film doesn't carry on like that because it's full-on in your face angry yeah fortunately it does relax a little bit once zed is diagnosed with the illness and the film then turns into this almost tragic tale of a man who has done it all but he's now he's done it all on his own, but he's now asking for help from those who didn't help him on his way, which is his friends and his family. So this is a guy whose dad doubted him. He now needs his dad's help just to be able to stand up. Um, the, uh, Zed's family is very religious, but Zed has left all that behind. He suddenly start he suddenly starts to think about that and how maybe that you know seeking stardom and walking away from his original identity could be the cause of his illness as well. So mm, lots of the, questions from yeah, him. lots of questions that he's trying to greater understand, and that's that happens in certain moments where he goes into an almost like dreamlike state and he sees things that aren't there but that might hold the key to his survival i guess mm. um it's a it's a very trippy idea to throw into a mix about a film about identity to where you have this sort of dreamlike state as well um so i i like that about it i, I like a lot about this film actually i think riz ahmed continues to prove his worth as an actor by taking on roles like this very different the performance I think probably is was not that easy for him, but he fully throws himself into it, and you see a character fall and rise right in front of your very eyes. And I think mm. that's what's great about Rizalma's performance here. But the rise is a very different rise from what he initially interprets. I think that's the fascinating piece here. So it's gritty filmmaking. I'm going to say that, as I said, very yeah. difficult to get into. I think a lot of filmmakers would have balked at making something like this and gone, can we make it a bit more light and fluffy? Instead, I think Riz Ahmed and the filmmakers have to be commended for making a film that will speak to a lot of people about identity and also asking for help when you really need to ask for help. Nice. Is this to be the, the beginning of a a starring a few more starring roles for his he seems to have been in lots of i hope so i hope so you know i've read Support some interviews him. with him last year where he was saying you know I'm, I'm trying to expand my horizons and doing this and whatever else mm. i i just hope more people put him in bigger films you know blockbuster films let's face it as you said you know he was 
He was one of the front of the resistance in Rogue One, and he was great in that film. Yeah. Um, he was great in Four Lions, great in Venom, great in Nightcrawler, you know, all the other stuff that I've seen him in as well. He's been great in. So the fact that he's turning around and making these films is equally as impressive. That's what I like about him. And his music's very good as well. After I'd seen this film and realised yeah. that, oh, he's a musician, went out and listened to his music. And, you know, you can see how he's influenced his life on this character in this film. Yeah, nice. The Rise of Riz will come soon, hopefully. Yeah, let's hope so. I'm happy to see more Riz Ahmed films, whatever they may be, whether they're big blockbusters, whether they're gritty tales like Mogul Mowgli. I'm I'm more than happy to see more Riz Ahmed in films because he is a really good actor. Nice. What we got uh, on the telly box this week, Mark? So, um, an interesting week. So, on Saturday night, 9pm on the Paramount channel, we've Paramount. got The Fifth Element... You know the element. Bruce Willis film? Have you seen this film? I feel I've heard of it. Hang on, I'm just looking it up. Okay, so it is one of the most madcap sci-fi movies you'll ever see. Gary Oldman is hamming it up spectacularly well. Yeah. Um, there is a, a woman at the centre of it who may hold some mysterious thing that other people want. There's a, a weird blue opera singer singing opera to dance music um there's, there's it's kind of like if philip k dick's books got spun into oh do you know what i don't even know it's so difficult to describe this film without going <laughs> it's crazy fun it is a lot of fun and yeah. it's bruce willis actually seeming like he's enjoying himself that's no, the thing or, or he doesn't get it and he's just going along for the ride. I mean, Gary Oldman is the standout in this film. Let me be honest. Everybody remembers Gary Oldman in this. Hmm. But it's a really fun, madcap, zany, sci-fi film um, that just sort of came out of nowhere. Really, it, on a, well, I don't know what else to say. Just, just watch it Saturday night, 9pm on the Paramount channel, because if you haven't seen it, it is nice, strangely hypnotic. <laughs> in the planner I've, yeah I've not seen this so I, I will I'll, I'll be there yes happy Bruce oh that's out of that <laughs> well let's not go that far <laughs> yeah what else have we got so Sunday 9pm on film 4 um, a film that I have recommended previously in the past and we've reviewed in the past as well it's a film called Gifted starring Chris Evans yes Captain America oh yes I said in the past that I think this is Chris Evans's best performance to date he plays a dad to a young daughter, played by McKenna Grace, um, who is rebellious all the way through, and she acts out, and her dad tries to help her um, deal with growing up, you know, dealing with all the things that happen when you come to be a teenager. Yeah. Really interesting performance from Chris Evans. As I said, very sensitive, very quiet, very timid. Um a world away from Captain America. Quite McKenna, Captain America. <laughs> yeah. McKenna Grace is absolutely fantastic in this as as his daughter, the the wild child, basically. And yeah. there's a really there's a really nice secondary performance from Jenny Slate as Chris Evans's sort of not girlfriend, but they have a little romance storyline in here, which you know it's a secondary storyline, but I like it. It's very well put together. Octavia Spencer is in here as well. It's a film that doesn't seem like it's that interesting from the poster or when you see the trailer but actually it's a really fascinating story about 
about fatherhood and about the difficulties that can come with it um, mm. and the difficulties that come with obviously a, a child who is slightly different to the rest. I mean, there's a scene where she goes to um, school for the first time and she's already got all the answers. So she thinks that the, the class that she's in is beneath her and she just <laughs> storms out, basically. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot going on in this film. I really like it. It is funny as well. There's a lot of fun moments in it as well. So I would call this probably a, a drama more than a comedy, but there's a lot going in. It's a, it's a very nice film. It's a very tender drama. Nice. This is gifted. Where, where's it on? On uh, Sunday, 9pm on Film 4. Nice. Another one in the planner. You're filling up the planner. Good, good. Lovely stuff. And what have we got to look forward to next week? Next week. Okay, so keep your, fingers crossed that, keep your fingers crossed that these films actually happen. Yeah, okay? here we go. You've got to predict the future now. We're going, to talk, we're going to be talking about Coming to America. <gasps> yes. Coming to America, the number two, the sequel. Two. Yes, the sequel to Coming to America. We're going to be talking about that. Wait. We're going to be talking about Raya and the Last Dragon, hopefully. We're going to be talking about on DVD Jungle Land, which is the new mm -hmm. film starring Charlie Hunnam. Um, we're also going to be talking about an Irish uh, crime comedy called Pixie. And we're going to be reviewing a documentary uh, called White Riot, all about the rock to race, uh, rock to racism. I can't remember what, which way around it is. Uh, event that happened. Um, in, uh, I think it was Hyde Park. Excellent. If they all come out at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, bad. I mean, we we say this every week. <laughs> you know, we're going to be reviewing these, yeah. and then it, uh, who knows? They really don't know. We get in touch, and it's like, oh, yes, they've changed. Yes, they've changed it. Yes, yes. That's right. We're on the road to recovery or highway to hell, whatever it is called. <laughs> so we'll be fine. <laughs> Excellent, Mark. Thanks very much. We'll speak next we week, hopefully. Do this all again. Oh, sounds like a plan. See you there. Bring your pop popcorn. Yeah. No. <clears throat> With Stuart Pink and Mark Searby. Film reviews and movie news. Phoenix 98FM. Go to phoenixfm.com and listen to online guest interviews, check the events for your area and listen to great radio online.